Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to No Chick Flick Moments. I'm your co-host, Remy. And I'm your other co-host, B. Hello, everybody. Long time no see. Yeah. Who are you again? No, 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 B. I just hope (laughs) that we're not going to... um, continue to perpetuate this habit of dropping off for four to six months after the holidays and just be like hi guys honestly there's something about like hitting winter and then it's like oh okay so i hibernate now too right that's what we do we don't just keep habits and keep meeting on a regular basis (laughs) to talk about the show to be fair i did move across country you did change jobs there there were quite a bit of activity I guess you could say going on between the two of us that um, Mm -hmm. necessitated some time off but here we are now I know enough about us I don't even want to talk about us I want to talk about supernatural (laughs) hey I am really I know I'm it's been so long I'm very happy to be back me too and we hope that you guys are happy for us to be back too so we're ready to get back in to talking about Supernatural, and today we want to talk with you about Season 1, Episode 18, Something Wicked, picking right up where we left off. And on such a good note, too. I I feel like subconsciously we knew that when we came back it was going to be to this juicy morsel. Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm sure I'll talk about it because, I mean... You know, parting the kimono a little bit. We did try to record this episode a couple of times before we actually said no. We just we're just gonna take a hiatus. We're not gonna. Well, we we need to stop trying to run at this cliff and take a flying leap. But yeah, yeah, yeah. We just I. We, it's I had, time. Yeah, we had to do it justice, so it's time now. <laughs> yes, and we truly do think it is worth the wait. So thank you guys for putting up with the hiatus and here's to a future where we have shorter ones. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, I, I can't tell you. I'm just, I'm just happy to happy to be back. So me too. We do. Okay. So something wicked. Something. Give me the deets. Wicked. We're talking about supernatural and this episode, season one, episode 18 was written by Daniel Knopf. And directed by Whitney Rancic. Its original air date was April 6, 2006. And the episode synopsis reads, Sam and Dean investigate a small town in Wisconsin where children are falling into comas for no apparent reason. The brothers discover that a witch is creeping into the bedrooms of children and stealing their life force. While battling the witch, Dean recalls a past mistake that almost cost Sam his life at the hands of the very same witch. An event that has fueled Dean's protectiveness over Sam and his blind obedience to his father. Oh my god, they put that in the synopsis? Do you not remember the five-sentence synopses, B, of season one? This is what we're working with. I do, but I just took, like, psychic damage hearing that blind obedience line. Oh no. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yes, okay, here we are. Here we are. Where do we open, B? 
I mean, we open in Fitchburg, Wisconsin with a child reciting bedtime prayers. Um, it could be Metallica lyrics, depending on your persuasion. <laughs> Um, but her father tucks her into bed, assuring her that her mother and sister are at the hospital. They're doing okay. Um, and as she is left alone, we see some shadowy branches scratching at the window. And it disturbs her enough. She tries to close the blinds. But soon enough, the window opens and in comes this sort of skeletally creepy robed figure that pulls down the blankets on her and makes her scream. I've I was spoiled B. I was spoiled by six months of just watching Supernatural through, you know, Tumblr. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm that's what I'm calling it, watching it through Tumblr. And and I was seeing all the shiny and new Supernatural and then I come back and I watch something wicked and season one, all I can think is like a a gremlin uh, Eric Kripke hovering over the director's shoulder watching the dailies make it creepier make it creepier oh my gosh Remy you have no idea okay because I was reading through the official companion to season one and his whole thing like we're going to get to it but the woman in the hospital he's like old women creep me out. Like, basically, the whole premise behind her character was, like, he's fucking scared of crones in wheelchairs with, like, cataracts. I'm like, and you're just saying this where it could be written into a book, huh? Like, you're just putting that out there. But, like, I'm with you. This creature, its face is, like, I don't know. It looks like a piece of meat that's been sitting in standing water for, like, a week. And then you pull it out and you're like, Oh, mm, yes, mm-hmm, yep, this is, this is skin in the shape of something vaguely face-like. And it has this glowing mouth when it begins to feed on the girl. The creaking windows, the, the, and it's so, it's so, like, 2000 creepy, too. It's such a vibe. Yes, yes, honestly. I've been watching Six Feet Under for the first time. That thing was circa 2001 to 2005, and I'm just feeling the TV vibes, especially so. Like, there's this resonance that's going on that is very early knots television. Again, I know that we've talked about it before, but um, yeah, after taking a break and then coming back to it, I'm like, what era is this? Oh yeah, not 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 today. So I don't know why I'm surprised. <laughs> <laughs> anyways it was fun yes and like it's a good setup you're going with the are you scared of the dark sort of premise of opening this episode mm-hmm. and then we switch to daytime the boys driving apparently they have received coordinates from john that put them on route to fitchburg Um, Sam is arguing that he couldn't find any trace of a lead in this town, so he doubts that there is a case. But Dean argues that maybe Dad will be there, Um, and Sam is just snarkily putting that down. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, because he's been so easy to get a hold of so far. They're still just... So, so it has been a while, guys, listeners. Um, but I think it was just two episodes ago that we had um, the episode... Sh- I'm definitely With the not... With 
I'm definitely not slipping through my notes right now. Shadow. Shadow. Yes. <laughs> With the Davas. That's right. Where we um we did, you know, finally meet up with John. And we had Meg, and we had the creepy, uh, violent shadow creatures, and we had the big emotional reunion, and, um, so now they know that John, you know, is doing something somewhere, and they, I think they feel a little better about it now than the, let's say the first half of the season where they just have no idea what's going on with him or if he's even okay or what. Um, but we still get, you know, I think, I think Dean is a little bit more settled and, you know, I'm just going to like, dad knows what he's doing. Look at, you know, I'm just going to follow whatever he says because, you know, the last time that, you know, we saw what happened in Shadow. Being together is not necessarily the best thing for us right now. We're just putting, you know, we're just a liability to him. We're putting him in danger. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Sam is, of course, always going to be pushing back on that like he is now. Um, just being peak bratty younger brother Sam. Yes. That's the energy he's pulling into this episode. And it's very intentional because we are going to see flashbacks to them when they're kids. And we're trying to invoke some of that energy, I think. But just the way that we see Dean sort of calmly accepting the mystery around their dad's messages. Um, yeah, that blind obedience that came up in the synopsis. I wasn't calling it that so much. I was thinking of it in terms of faith. Um, that Dean just has this faith that anything that his dad is doing is in service of the greater good. And as we're going to see this episode, um, I wouldn't put it in those terms. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Woof. Yeah. I can't wait to get into that. But yeah, I just, I liked, I like Sam here where he... You know, Dean is just saying, look, he gave us the coordinates. There's go there's going to be something to dig up there. Like, just just keep, like... Keep Have faith that this is going to pan out into something we need to be worried about. Right. Don't get your panties in a wad. Just, just calm down. But Sam is saying, like, well, I mean... <sighs> What's with the core? Like, why? Why does he have to do this, Dean? Why can't he just tell us things, Dean? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, because he was raised very passive-aggressively towards his kids. And, like, the way that Dean says later in this episode that John never looked at him the same way oh, again. Yeah. It's never in words. It's never in this concrete, explicit way that they communicate displeasure or affection, or any type of emotion. It's always in these sort of dog whistles that get picked up on because there's so much guilt being held onto. Yeah, yeah. And Sam is always going to push back on that. But Dean, um, I mean, because Sam even says, like, what makes you so sure that there's, you know, going to be something there? And... Dean is just saying, well, he's making a joke of it. He's saying, well, because I'm the oldest and I'm always right. But really, it's like you yeah. said, it's the faith just to say that, well, dad tells us to be there. So, you know, there's something, there's something, there's something going on. So we're going to go figure it out. Yeah. And that charm is the way that Dean disarms the situation too. You know, he gives 
Sam a new thing to roll his eyes at, which mm-hmm. is the I'm the older brother line. You know, um, it's a way of moving past that unpleasant disagreement that they're having and just get Sam back on board for the time being. Yeah, always the mediator. Yep. Oh, God. Oh, God. Yep. Here, Remy, <laughs> we're back. <laughs> what? So like we ever they... left? Um, no. Like, truly opening this episode up. And I was just like, oh, my boys. I yeah. miss my boys who are older than me, but not yet. Not in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> They're so young. Yes. Um, They're in the town. They're grabbing coffees. They are checking for rumors that there's nothing from the local mill. Um, But Sam does notice that the playground across the street is absent of children, even though it is shortly after school. Yeah. Yeah. So there is one mother-daughter pair that are um, hanging out at the playground, but uh, they definitely find it suspicious that, you know, like Sam says, this place should be call- crawling with kids right about now. So mm-hmm. where is everybody? And Dean goes to um, subtly pry for some information from the mother, asking what what's going on. Yeah, and we see um, Hannah's actor for the second time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Erica Carroll, I think. Um, but she is saying that kids are getting sick in the town. Um, there's five or six in the hospital right now and parents are anxious that it's contagious. And Dean takes this information in looking really pensive about it. Yeah. Yeah. She says it's a, it's a shame, you know, kids getting sick and, and it's not a lot of, it's not a lot, just five or six so far, but it's serious. It's hospital serious. Mm -hmm. So the, Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we can chalk up the fact that there aren't kids gathering to play with, um, as Hannah, <laughs> not Hannah, says, uh... I wrote her down as Hannah, too. Yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, an abundance of, of caution from the parents because they're getting anxious about this serious illness that seems to be sweeping, um, sweeping through. And, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, Hannah, I did say, hi, Hannah. I just had to. Yeah, and the companion book likes to make a little joke because we last saw her in Faith, which I think is in Ohio, and then now we're in Wisconsin, so the companion book is like, (laughs) is she a demon following the brothers across the Midwest? I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? No, not with this show. (laughs) Like, it's funny because it is season one and they haven't reused all these actors to the degree that they will in the future. Uh-huh. But like planting that elbow ribbing, ha ha, isn't that good? I'm like, buddy, you have no idea the storm coming for you. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they don't really have any other leads right now. So they are curious about this illness. They go to the hospital and they are pretending to be CDC um, looking for the pediatric ward. Sam is getting on to Dean uh, as they are approaching the receptionist's desk uh, because they have, you know, their CDC ID uh, actually says Bikini Inspector as as Sam's title on his ID card. That was what, like a Kinko's ID card. What's the print shop? (laughs) Yep, yep. 
So, you know, Dean Dean was having a little bit of a little bit of a laugh at, at Sam's expense. Oh, they're not even gonna look at it. Hell, they're not even gonna ask for it. Just, you know, act with confidence. That's the key, Sam. Yeah, so- you see as he's saying this to Sam too, that Sam's anxiety is just increasing because these few scant seconds they have before they reach the reception office, um, Dean is just using it to basically barb jokes at Sam and then whirl him around at the last second to face the receptionist. Sam is just the picture of, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. Hi! Hey! So, Doc... I don't know. I forget what he introduced himself as, but basically, Dr. So and so from the CDC, can you point me in the direction of the pediatric ward? Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, can I see some ID, please? Oh my God. And then Dean just is cracking a smile at the distance because, you know, he might have promised that this wouldn't happen, but the fact that it is happening is delightful to him. Oh gosh. Like a, like a worm on a hook. Yeah. Watching him squirm. Yeah. So Sam is very quick. He has his fingers over key points of the ID, flashes it, sets it back. They are on their way to the second floor where she advised the pediatrics ward could be found. Mm-hmm. And they meet a Dr. Heidecker, who seems to be kind of the lead physician there. Correct. But en route, they did pass this old woman in her room Um, She has an upside down crucifix on the wall and Dean is giving her a suspicious eye. Yes. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay, B. We have the music to tell us that. Oh, I know. This is a significant moment. Cap. I know. Cap letters. Play the piano one more time. (laughs) Okay. So, yeah. (laughs) My least favorite. I I did. I did maybe watch this episode one too many times because, um... Yeah, at a certain point, all I could hear was the fucking soundtrack and that fucking piano. It, it just reminded me, you know, those like iPhone, like Sherlock off brand mystery games? Okay, yep, yeah, that sounds fair. Go hunting for clues, kind of ambiance, yep. mu- music. Find the just, like, five swans in the backyard. Uh huh. And you're like, okay. <laughs> I, it was just this idle game, tinkly piano music, and I wanted to rip my fucking hair out by the end of the episode, because <laughs> I was like, no, 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 this is not, not, hashtag not my supernatural. <laughs> and see, I was appreciative of the fact that we didn't have, like, the funny guitar, like, I don't know what to call it, the funny bass line <laughs> that they use, like, because... When I first saw Supernatural in season 13 and they had that fucking twanging, I was like, what the fresh hell is this choice? And then I realized upon watching the earlier seasons, oh, they made the choice here and then they kept. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. We'll get Americana. I'm sure that I wouldn't even have noticed it if I hadn't watched the episode um, about five times in the span of two months, so... Yeah, well, you know, fair, fair, fair. Uh, but also, it was very, another one of those things that was very 2000s television. Yes, yes. The tinkling. Sometimes you can just yeah, tell yeah. by the music. Mm-hmm. But you were talking about Dr. Heidecker. Yes, yes. And we have Sam and Dean doing a walk and talk with Dr. Heidecker. And um, he is thanking them for, you know, coming on behalf of the CDC. Uh, He was just about to call himself um, because, you know, what 
seemed like your garden variety pneumonia uh, has, you know, it, it, it doesn't seem to be that because no. the children are uh, just getting worse, not responding to antibiotics. They are um, just, their their white blood cell counts are down. Uh, Dr. Heidecker describes it as uh, their immune systems are just not working as they should. Their bodies are just giving up. Yes. And so there are six kids in here over the last five weeks. Dean asks if they can interrogate any of them, but they're all unconscious, says one of the um, nurses attending them. And they look really startled by the fact that every last one aren't conscious right now. Yeah, they're also, yeah, they're startled that this is, this seems to be happening so fast, you know these kids all getting sick one after the other in a short period of time and yeah how serious it is they have been comatose uh, for as long as they've been admitted yes so if we can't talk to the kids then the parents are the next safest bet so we see um sam and dean talking to the father of the girl in the opening scene Um, And he mentions how his oldest, um, Mary and Bethany, they both fell sick within 24 hours of each other. And this seems to line up to what the doctor said, too, that this seems to be a really strange illness working its way through families. Yeah, yeah. One sibling after the other. And the father mentions that an open window may have been the culprit of this pneumonia. And... Yeah, he can't remember for sure with um, Mary, but with Bethany, her window was open, and it must have been opened by her because she's on the second story. There's this very narrow ledge. There's no way that someone could reach the window um, to open it from the outside. Yeah, and he knows for sure that he had it latched. Yeah. Um So as Sam and Dean go off to discuss this news and to decide whether they have a case, um, Sam does suggest that, you know, this guy's going to be in the hospital. Both his kids are here, his wife is here. Um, That gives us a prime opportunity to go to their house and investigate. Yes. Which they do. (laughs) Yeah, they hop right there and they're in Bethany's room. Um, there's no EMF readings or any other of their devices, um, but the window, when Sam approaches it, he notices this strange, rotted, long-fingered handprint um, put in the wood outside. Yeah, and Sam has never seen anything like that. He says as much. What could leave a handprint like that? But uh, as soon as Dean lays eyes on this this handprint on the windowsill, he is blasted to the past and can't even listen to Sam anymore because he knows exactly what this is. Yeah, we get transported into a flashback. There is this photograph... Um, on the desk that has a similar handprint. Um, but John is moving around this motel room, packing up for a hunt. 
And Dean's got to be, you know, 12, somewhere around there, you know, just this baby faced little cherub. And um, he is confirming all of John's instructions before his father leaves. Let's didn't we we did the math on this, right? Because here Dean is 27 and mm-hmm. uh he says that uh he mentions to Sam a little later in the episode that everything that we're seeing now uh where we have Sam a young Sam and Dean and John and John's about to go off on this hunt uh where where are they what was the um city? Pitchburg? No, that's where that's where it's happening now. That's where the current day town. Oh. Where were they when they were younger? I mean, it literally doesn't matter. Fort Douglas, I think. <laughs> when they were in Fort Douglas, um, Dean cited it to have been uh, 14, no, 16, 17 years ago. That's what he says. Oh so gosh, he must have been 10, 9 when this even younger then and being left in charge of his little brother while his dad is going to be away for days yeah if i'm not home by sunday you know what to do call pastor jim yeah and if john is calling then they have a secret code with the number of rings on the phone and dean is a little exacerbated he's saying you know we've gone over this a million times i'm not stupid And John agrees that, but he insists that all it takes is one mistake and then they could be in real danger because of that. Yeah. He's telling Dean to uh, make sure the curtains are drawn, don't leave the room, keep the door locked. And, you know, a lot of this is like, I I mean, he's, he's couching it in terms of like, be cautious, be careful, you don't know what's out there. But I was just like, this could, you know, he is just trying to make sure that he doesn't get the freaking, uh, he doesn't get child services called on him. Yep. Because I think there's a lot of layers that could be to this here. Yeah. And yeah, it's going to be one hand keeping prying eyes out, um, and you know are those eyes supernatural or not um you can you can take a guess what's more likely god and even telling dean as he's walking out the door uh if something tries to force its way in you know what to do shoot first ask questions later here son here's a shotgun that's as big as you are quite literally be prepared to kill a man yeah you're 10 you're 10 watch out for your sammy Watch over your six-year-old brother. This waifish little figure sitting in (laughs) this chair, just listlessly watching, I think it's Thundercats. It is. Oh my god. No, I'm fine. Yeah, and I think we're going to end up talking about this later, but there is a question of um, if we're drawing parallels between what happened with Dean and Sam when they're kids and what's happening in present day as they are trying to save the victims of the week. Um, you know, how much of a parallel do we draw? Because as we'll see, um, we have Sam and Dean knowingly using a kid as bait 
And I think um, it, there's room for debate about whether John did the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think we can talk about that. Yeah. But not now. Um, presently, we see that um, Dean comes back to himself and he is realizing why John has sent them these coordinates. And I say them, but ultimately why John has sent Dean here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He has faced this thing before. Dean knows what it is. And John wants them to finish the job. Yes. A.K.A. for Dean to clean up his mistake. And I say mistake with, like, quotation marks around it. Yeah. Yes. Woof. Okay. Um, motel. This is where I noticed the musical, musical cue. When they were driving up to this motel, I was just like, this feels like the 90s echoing 80s in the <laughs> 2000s. Like, I... There's something about it that just... It spoke of its era really sharply. Um, but they park in the front of the motel and Dean is explaining what he knows of the Striga to Sam. And Sam is a bit baffled that Dean knows these things because Sam's already looked through dad's journal and didn't find any of this information. Yeah. And is Dean really explaining or is he just answering Sam's questions as crisply as he can? Yes. Because Sam is saying, what the hell is a Striga? It's not in dad's journal. And Dean is just like, what? You don't remember? You know, it was, you know, Fort Douglas, Wisconsin. Yeah, it was a while ago. But, well, if if dad went after the thing, then why is it still breathing? Why didn't he finish the job? Come on, Sam. Sometimes things get away. The trail went cold. It happens. Yeah, well, not not very often. Not with John Winchester. Yeah. So there's so many questions that are being raised by Sam, even though Dean is sitting there answering them. Um, you can see the wheels are turning in Sam's head that just something isn't quite adding up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Dean, Sam is saying, you know, well, what, what do you know? What's going on? I don't know, Sam. I was just a kid. It was a while ago. But and isn't that something to hear Dean say? Like, I was a kid. Yeah. And I just wonder, too, how much of what Sam is saying here, like, dad never let a thing go or like that it was such a rarity. I just am saying here, I'm like, really? Or like, is this um, a childhood memory, like something that you've written into your brain as true, but is not necessarily grounded in fact? Like, because... If we're seeing that John didn't record any of this in his journal, well, how many other, like, failed cases didn't make their way in there? It's just very curious that we see the absence of it in the journal, and yet we hear with conviction from Sam that John never let a thing go. That's interesting. I didn't think about that. Because Dean says later when, you know, the whole truth comes out that um, John you know acted differently towards dean after everything happened and they never talked about it again and john just went cold about it and dean felt the weight of that mistake Mm -hmm. for years and years after but it was you know for some reason john just 
completely swept it under the rug and 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 dean was just like just a child and he needed someone to do for him what he you know takes every effort to do for say michael this this yes. episode and yes. just assure him that you know it, it's not his fault everything's going to be okay in that it, you know he did all that he could yeah, we're going to see Dean do the things that you can feel Dean wish Dean wishes it was done for him when he was a kid. Yeah, yeah. But I I didn't think about how strange it is that yeah, John just completely was just content to eradicate this from have ever like it have ever ever happened. Yeah. Because if a hunter's journal is the record of everything that they've come across and it's sort of this memory that gets carried forward for the next generation, it's pretty glaring when you don't include something like the Striga, which we're going to see Sam researches and it says, no, they're invulnerable. There's no way to kill them. And then Dean with his memories is like, that's not true. Dad knew of something that would work. It's like, yeah, so, John, why are you not recording this information? Is it a shame to you that you let your kids get into that state? Or is it something else? I think, again, I don't know when you want to talk about it, but we can talk about John's motivations both then and now. But maybe this was, like, a shame on John, too, and it was something that he was willing to... Uh, just forget about because it was he took a gamble and he deliberately I mean you can argue that he deliberately put his children in this dangerous situation so that he could have he could essentially use them for bait to lure out this this creature and he would be poised to take it down when when it actually when if it actually showed up but when it did show up, he failed and, mm-hmm. and he almost lost a child doing it, t- yes. like, uh, taking this gamble. And like very easily could have lost two um, because if, okay, so what we're dancing around is. Yeah, and none did... of this is explicitly stated. So we're, yeah. yeah, this is just our meta. So, yeah, but it's very interesting. I think it is valid, a valid read. And I think you can um, strengthen it with the reminder that there was a deleted um, script segment in season 14 um, with the episode 14, I think it was, Ouroboros, the one with the Gorgon. Mm -hmm. There was a segment in the script that had Dean commenting on the fact that John used to use him as bait and like the old truck stop trick that they would use um not just as bait as a honey lure yeah 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 his like, underage child out there in truck stops which this episode has set up as like this nefarious or like this underground way of people hooking up and like people getting exploited and in danger and things like that like we're given this vibe in that episode. And then we hear Dean in the script saying that that's something that John used him for. 
um, that just gives evidence to the possibility that John was using his kids as bait even younger than what Dean was saying. Um, and this moment with the Striga could very well be one of those cases. Yeah. And this, and if, if John's plan didn't work, he lashed out at Dean and Dean, like I said, felt the weight of that failure. That wasn't even his own failure for, you know, up Mm -hmm. until current day, the present day. And now he sees, uh, the fact that John sent him back to, to hunt this thing clean up his mess to clean up his mess well it does it does does dean say that because i don't I, he he says finish the job but then he does get you know what he does get a little fatalistic when he um when he tells the whole story to sam later i think he does say to clean up my own mess yeah i don't know concretely i don't know if i've written it down or not what he yeah. said but you just get this vibe that Dean is beating himself up for it, that he feels like he's screwed up because if he's holding the blame for what took place that 16, 17 years ago, then he is also holding the blame for all the kids that have been killed since then. Yeah. And like we know Dean, he is a sponge for self-loathing. And I could see just his mental um, way of talking about what's going on here as being like his screw ups, his mistakes, his fuck up, his mess, like putting it in these terms that is just like, he's grievously injured something that would have otherwise been okay. Yeah. And I, I think that you could, I think that it could go either way. You know, was this assignment from John, was it a punishment or was it a chance at redemption or was it even either of those things Did John even think about it that much? Yeah. Uh, because I think, I think that a lot, like you said, Dean is a sponge for self-loathing. I think that a lot of what he's feeling in this episode and a lot that's coming out, um, of, of, you know, about this guilt that he's held for so long around this core memory of this, of of one of what he thinks is his greatest failings um and how john looked at him different after and how it just i don't know i i think i think that some of that could be coming from john but a lot of it could also be coming from dean i think that maybe maybe you know it dean just never he never got the chance to forgive himself because john never like acknowledged it or or like like i said yeah. told him that it was like not his fault or it was okay or you know it tried to train it was him just to this thing swept under the rug there's right. this thing that wasn't in the journal it's this thing that is forgotten in their history but dean has not forgotten it yeah yeah so i could see from just a mental health kind of standpoint, how maybe this is a thing that got really big and really messy in Dean's head, but John, like, can we trust that John even gave it that much thought? I mean, you're right. We don't know contextually what John's thoughts are as he's sending this message. All we know is John sent coordinates. We're left with Dean's perspective on it um, and Dean's perspective of how his father treated him. And, you know, reliable narrator or not, that still is just one character's hearsay for another character. Um, But I think 
knowing Dean's history of just self-loathing, knowing the way that he values his father's opinion so highly and feels like he does not meet it. Um, what's the truth or not of John's opinions is maybe not the most relevant because ultimately we're sitting in Dean's perspective and we're stuck with the scars that Dean is trying to heal in the aftermath of being a kid and having to defend his brother's life and just not being able to pull the trigger in the moment that was most critical. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, whether or not John realizes how hurt Dean Mm -hmm. was and is here uh, doesn't really matter because the fact of the matter is that Dean has those scars and... And, and we I see say them. either way, and, you know, yeah. either it's intentional that John has sent this to Dean and by intentional, it includes a level of maliciousness or other it is otherwise it is just something he doesn't even realize that he is injuring Dean with. Yeah. And, you know, which one of those is better? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I guess there's this mystical third one where he's sending it silently hoping Dean understands his chance at redemption. But I'm like, my God, I realized texting was like new in 2006, but you really could put some vowels and consonants (laughs) together after those coordinates. No, B, this is the man that sent his son on his 18th birthday on his first solo hunt to uh, burn the bones of uh, uh, a nun who was killed for being gay. So... Uh, yeah yeah no he's the friendly neighborhood dad hey sport i just felt like i should save you this trauma dump for you (laughs) please please go wade through all of the internalized issues that i gave you 16 to 17 years ago okay love you bye there's no emojis yet yeah does he know i mean or does he i mean does we could we could we could do hours on that question. Does John even know? Yeah, a <sighs> tenth of what he's done to Dean. Like, does he know? And what he does know, does he feel guilty for? Yeah, yeah. Oh, and like, I want to say one more thing about like, was it a trap? Was it or not? Like, was John using his kids as bait or wasn't he? Um. You know, because if he was, then that means that he was lying in wait somewhere nearby the motel, keeping an eye out. And the night that Dean went off to go play in the arcade, um, uh, John would be curiously absent from his post as well. So is there, you know, misplaced anger on Dean for not being there to watch out for Sam? When John himself was not there to watch out for Dean and Sam. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely do think that if it was uh, a, a trap or a, a a bait, then I think that uh, the main reason why uh, John just cut and run is because it was a failed gamble. Yeah. And, and that's his... And, and that was his failing, and he knows it, but he... Um, you know, whether he was just trying to share it with Dean because he was just mad or like it just lashing out at Dean or if, um, 
if again he just really was so um unaware that his that his callousness was you know formative formative yes uh then i mean i don't know i don't know if he yeah we don't i don't know yeah i i do think that the fact that he was putting so much on to Dean at such a young age speaks to maybe this history where he's leaning on Dean a little too much, treating him like another adult in the room and then holding him accountable for like a quote unquote failure for putting Sam in danger um, at a level that he would not put another 10 year old kid. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that Sam Sam has a point, you know. It's it's weird that John did just cut and run. That's not like him. He he just he he just left and dumped the kids off at Pastor Jim's and then, you know, went back to do the job, but the thing had already gone to ground at that point. Um, but but I think that John got spooked. Uh, yeah. one way or the other whether it was because he he took a risk and it didn't work out and he messed up uh so he you know just wanted wanted to he just had to he had to correct for that or if he just straight up got spooked and um and knew that his family was in danger so he put the family ahead of the hunt uh, yeah it i I could see it being that it wasn't really real to him, the fact that he could lose one of his kids while he's off on a hunt. Mm-hmm. That he just leaves them alone, they look out for themselves, and he's drilled it into Dean so severely that Dean is replacement John when John's not at home. Yeah. And it, he was just struck in the face with the fact that, no, that's not true. Like, these are your two kids you're leaving in a motel room. And he felt the need to scarper them away from danger for once in his fucking life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just really fascinating the negative space we get in this episode and the way that as we work through future seasons, we can fill in that negative space in a variety of ways. Oh, so many, so many small. This is one of the few episodes where we get, we just get thrown this huge, like, well of of information on, um, you know, how can how can I say this? So this is one of one of the few episodes where we get to we get a real glimpse into what it was actually like growing up for the boys and for yes. john yes. and and how it how hunting was incorporated in their childhood right right and how you know formative it was and how and how it still affects sam and dean today main in this episode mostly D- dean of course but we yeah. you know we have sam episodes later on in the seasons as well uh but to what you were saying about what we get these little kibbles of information and you know what's not said just as much as what we've been shown um can fill in all of these 
all these gaps but this episode is a fan favorite i think because we actually see uh what you know we we get a real glimpse into into the formative years of these of these characters that we're yeah. getting to know in this season one and like the consequential moments of john's parenting mm-hmm and like put in this way that it's not even necessarily about John's parenting. It's about Dean's relationship to his childhood. And oh, it's it's so and much And that's fodder. crazy too, because here we have Eric fucking Kripke in the writer's room. Like, let's let's give ten year old Dean a gun and he's gonna fuck up and he's gonna be really sad about it. And I mean, but then now he's going to be able to, you know, f- prove himself and shoot the thing in the head six times, and it's going to be awesome. But we have here Dean just saying, like, this is my moment for, for redemption, and oh, I'm just really sad about it, all of this stuff. And we, the audience, who barely know these people, we're like, whoa. Dean, the words that you're saying are not, like, you don't understand. You don't understand what's happened to you. You but don't even we know. <laughs> I, like, I'm know. looking at you, and I'm looking at you, and, like, what? How do, How can you be? You're so, oh, no. <laughs> oh. Oh. And, yeah, like, this is a formative beat for his characterization because we see him just sopping up that guilt, sopping up that sense of duty. And then we'll see him progress throughout the seasons the way that he takes on the weight of the world and just burdens himself with everything that's wrong in it. And it's like, well, it just starts with these little tiny pebbles of... I, my brother could have gotten killed. He didn't, but he could have been. And it was my fault. Not my father for fucking off and leaving me, the 10 year old, with a shotgun and being like, don't kill your brother in the process. Ugh. <laughs> oh. He says, I was a kid as he's talking to Sam in this parking lot. But he's using it as this armor to prevent the need to explain more about what happened then. Like, he's not using it in a, I was a kid and it's understandable for what I went through. He did a, I was a kid, so I don't have to answer any more of your questions. Like, All right, I know, exactly. That- That's what I'm saying. Ugh. He's saying, he's saying the words, but he just has no idea. Like, he's saying the words, but they don't apply to him. No, like, he knows how to use them, but it's, like, a piece of clothing that he's like, well, this doesn't fit me. Like, he holds the hat up to his head. He's like, I guess it's a hat. And then he puts it on the ground again. Yes. Yeah. And then you have the audience being like, okay, Dean, you're saying one thing, but I don't think that this, like, thin layer of sand is going to cover the... I don't know how to do metaphor like you be. I can't. <laughs> but the, just the mound of trauma yeah, that you won't yeah. even acknowledge, We're, that you don't even know dusty. you have. <laughs> he puts a sheet over like a corner of it. He's like, you can't see it anymore. And you're like, baby, it's the size of Indiana. And he's like, you can't see it anymore. I put a bed sheet on it. And I don't even think the writers know what they're doing. Like, I genuinely 
am curious if like in this scene that I was a kid was just a line that they put in there and they were like greater context i mean maybe but like he was just a kid i'm just like no, no that's what i'm saying they have no idea they have no idea the like the writer's room is dean winchester in this moment because they're just saying shit and <sighs> and then like not i then we just have all of this other stuff okay be, yeah. I gotta move on. I have to move on because this is insane. Remy, I sound just... insane. Remy, okay, now, not to tie back to the fact that, hey, we've been on the hiatus. I don't know if you've heard, but it's been a while since we recorded. <laughs> I'm like, like a goddamn sleeper agent, okay? It was just like, we mentioned I was a kid and it's like, oh, hello, there's like my fucking encyclopedia, my PhD in Deanisms <laughs> just activated. I'm like, what page should I rifle to as I'm discussing this trauma? And it's like, how do I know so much about this fictional man when even the writers themselves were like, oh, I guess we'll just add a layer and then 15 years of sediment has built into like this marble this this <laughs> fucking encased piece of rock i don't know rock basalt let's just say basalt let's say pumice i don't fucking know but it's some sort of rock with all of these layers these striations and you're like wow this is a fascinating character i'm gonna obsess over it for the rest of my life subconsciously willingly or not <laughs> We have to move on. I'm not even saying words anymore. I'm not. I'm... They're in the motel parking lot. <laughs> They're going to get a room. <laughs> Dean has a MasterCard. Dean is going to experience a microaggression <laughs> hip squeak. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah. Okay. So they're getting motel room. Sam's sitting in the car. Dean is up in his feelings. He's getting just his feelings hurt by a 12-year-old. Then this 12-year-old <laughs> turns around and pours milk into a glass. And I'm like, I, I I don't know why that bothered me. It did. But then we get another flashback. And I'm like, the fucking SpaghettiOs scene. Remy, tell us about it. The fucking SpaghettiOs. Dean is like... Literally, I I don't think he's literally standing on a stool, but in my mind, he is he is standing yes, on a stool yes. <laughs> in front of the the motel stove, scraping up the burnt bottom of a pan with spaghettios oh, so because tiny, he is Remy. nine years old. He's a baby, and he's cooking for another baby. And, and they're he, arguing over spaghettios. No. No, it's worse than that, B, because Dean is 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 trying to give Sam the spaghettios. Oh, you're right. But but trying to give him the healthy option. Sam doesn't want the spaghettios. He wants Lucky Charms. But this child, this child says, infant. "But I want the Lucky Charms." This toddler <laughs> and this infant are arguing over who should get the last bowl of cereal. Because their father's not there to buy them food. No. He just left them with a stock of supplies that Dean has been dutifully doling out to his brother. Like, Sam's getting the favoritism here because Dean is like, I didn't even get a bowl of cereal yet and there's only one bowl left. And then Sam's like, but I'm so tired of this healthy bowl of nutritious SpaghettiOs that you so dutifully burnt and cooked for me. <laughs> 
And no, he, he's tired of SpaghettiOs, B, because all they fucking have in this motel is cans of SpaghettiOs. Because John stuck his arm out like a zombie and just wedged his hand down some shelf in a supermarket. <laughs> and was like, I guess you're getting SpaghettiOs this time. And a single box of Lucky Charms. Yeah, and he's like, I didn't see it. I'm in such a blind rage over my dead wife. Or who the fuck knows? Maybe there is chicken breast in the fridge. But guess what? You left a nine-year-old in charge of not giving his five-year-old brother salmonella. Like, (laughs) what are you? And then the fucking SpaghettiOs. Remy, why I really like this. The fucking (laughs) SpaghettiOs. End up in the trash. Because <laughs> Dean is not without his flair of drama, even at the age of nine. Yep. Yep. Fine. Spaghetti-o in the trash. Can't believe he didn't just throw the whole pot in there. I mean, it would be the level of passive-aggressive I would have expected John to give <laughs> Dean to replicate. And Sam gets the last bowl of SpaghettiOs with a splash of milk. Lucky Charms. Lucky Charms. Sorry. SpaghettiOs with milk will be a little bit different of an experience. The last last bowl of Lucky Charms. He gets his milk poured for him and he has his whole little toddler fist clamped around the (laughs) the neck of a spoon. And he's so he's he's so happy and Dean didn't get any lucky charms. And little Sam gives uh, he he does give He holds Dean. out his sticky toddler fist. He's holding this little cellophane wrapped whatever the fuck and asks Dean, does he want the prize from the box? My heart My heart And Dean Dean loves his little brother. And hates SpaghettiOs, allegedly. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, so that happened. (laughs) Dean returns to the present in the motel and he retrieves his credit card. And it is time to cut to the motel room. (laughs) Yes. And after much research, uh, Sam has finally dug up something on this striga creature and okay okay so apparently it does exist it is a uh, albanian witch and there are you know accounts dating back to ancient rome they feed off of um basically their victims life force their breath of life And they can feed off of anybody, but they prefer children, presumably because they have a stronger breath of life than, uh, than any given adult. But yeah, yeah, yeah. they, they know what it is, but the bad news is, uh, that from what Sam is reading, they are impervious to any man-made weapon. 
any and all weapons devised by God and man. Oh, okay, that's better, yeah. <laughs> it's the next level up, okay? <laughs> yeah. Invulnerable to all weapons devised by God and man. And Dean, oh so casually, says, oh, no, no, that's not true. Uh, they're actually vulnerable when they are feeding. You can kill them then. And um, let me think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It uh, wrought iron rounds, consecrated thing. iron. Uh, yeah. I, th- I think that's what it's called. I mean, yeah. I don't even know. I don't even know. But, like, they can die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that should that should do it. But you have to catch them when they're eating. And Dean, I mean, Sam, probably, <laughs> who has just spent hours, like, searching the, the mm-hmm. wikis. Mm-hmm. He's like, um, what? You, you know what it is, you know what it does, and you know how to kill it. And, um, yeah, is there anything else Dad mentioned? I don't know, Dad. I mean, no, I just, no, that's all I think. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. And, you know, the fact that Dean is saying this now means that Sam is aware that earlier Dean was lying to him you know one of these things either you didn't remember more or you did and you chose not to tell me um you can see Sam is just snagging on that and it's just feeding into that suspicion that there's something afoot here that Dean is not revealing but if that's all he's got from his brother for now um they are left to discuss how they're going to find the human that the Striga is disguising itself as. Um, Sam says it's typically a feeble old woman. And Dean points to the map of the victims, you know, the kids that have been found so far. And dead center at that is the hospital. And he mentions seeing this patient in there with an inverted cross on the wall. And Sam is just choosing, again, violence as the younger brother to be like oh you saw an old person at a hospital oh you better call the guards like better call the coast guard thank you i'm like what's this american thing (laughs) (laughs) no smart ass this this particular old woman at the hospital had an inverted cross on her wall so what do you think about that Yeah, we don't see a lot of those type of folks around here. So they go back to the hospital at night. Yes. They also skillfully evade Dr. Heidecker by, like, I think Dean literally, like, brings his hand up to his forehead, like, ducks around the corner, like... Yeah. (laughs) He's like, pay no attention to my ethereal beauty. I'm just looking at the floor right now (laughs) as you walk by. And then as soon as Heidecker has left, then he and Sam round the corner and they head to that one um, woman's room. And so they're standing in the hallway about to walk into this woman's room. Dean pulls a pistol, cocks it. Sam is looking at him like, what? What? Okay, I guess this is what we're doing now. So yeah, they this both, is the plan. <laughs> they both walk into this woman's room armed, and she is, you know, Eric Kripke's worst nightmare, apparently. A woman who has aged. <laughs> Still sitting in the middle of the room, facing the wall. You can't really see her face, but Dean approaches 
her quietly and then gets really close to her also very quietly. Like, what are you trying to do? In her face, like, the shadow of the gun is cast over her face and he's like, this is a plan. Like, what? Yes. (laughs) And all she has to do is turn her head and the spirit of Eric Kripke possesses Dean and he throws himself bodily backwards, totally freaked out that she has, like, recognized his existence. (laughs) She asks who they are and they say, oh, we're maintenance. And then she asks them to fix the crucifix on the wall because it's been the fourth time this week that she's asked them for this. And she sleeps with her eyes open. I I really do not know what the state of this woman's vision is. I know. I was like, if she if she's truly blind, because she looks truly blind. Um, mm-hmm. she's not looking at either Dean or Sam. She she's at, she's calling out to them like, who's there? Who's that? I don't like. She doesn't seem to be looking at them, but she knows that the cross is walking on the wall. So exactly, exactly. I'm like, hmm. We'll just okay. say words. Be. I mean, yeah. Move that plot forward. We'll see Dean being a little spookumed right beside the cross, and then he gently touches it with his finger, and it just rotates back. So that it's no longer inverted. I don't know what you call when it's just regular focus. <laughs> it is an inverted, inverted cross. Yeah. So apparently it was hanged correctly, but I guess those pesky nurses have been making fun behind the creepy old woman's back and inverting the cross on her wall. I guess. I mean, we do know that like old women deserve to be tortured. Mm-hmm. So... Honestly, like, Dean, what was the plan? What were you doing? I'm going to shoot this old woman in the hospital. (laughs) Like, I guess the thought was that if it was the Striga, it would reveal itself and dot, dot, dot. Yeah. You still wouldn't be able to kill it. It wasn't feeding. I know. I mean. And did you know the actress that they have playing this old woman? She's only, like, in her 50s. Oh, my God. And then... Like, she has red hair. She just looks, you know, normal. And then they're like, we're going to make her look so old and scary that Eric Kripke is never going to sleep again. (laughs) We want him to shit his pants at the thought of her just, like, existing in the world. Because it can't just be, it can't just be an old woman, B. It has to be a literal, like, manufactured. Yes caricature of an old woman yes because if Kripke had to see an actual old woman playing an old woman he might die (laughs) I don't know why I'm so salty I just (laughs) I I just think that it's really fascinating to hear a man be like the vision of a woman who is over the age of I'm gonna be generous here 60 a younger age he's scared of <laughs> but a woman over the age of 60 just by default looks scary to him i'm like oh to be your therapist <laughs> to be paid money to pick your brain apart oh fascinating oh b i swear one day one day we're gonna do no chick fuck moment extras and we're gonna watch the boys together we're gonna do it 
I am so scared of The Boys season three. I'm terrified. I don't know what to do. Like, it's going to exist. I'm pretty sure there's going to be nudity that I am not ready for it to exist in the universe. And I'm just going to have to live in the universe with it. There's one full trailer of The Boys Season 3 release, and I have never been so grateful to see so little of Jensen Ackles because... I know. They showed him singing... And I swear, my heart seized. I was like, I can't do this. No. I can't do this. Even they ha- the he sings. He sings. Of course he sings. Nobody, of course he sings. Nobody has a bigger crush on Jensen Ackles than Eric fucking Kripke. So we gotta, we gotta show all. This is my boy. This is his talents. Shall I make him tap dance again? Let me show his butt. Remy, we don't know that there's nudity yet. Okay, we don't know if there's nudity on screen, but I'm pretty sure Jensen gave an interview where he was like, it was my first or second day of filming and I had to be absolutely naked in front of everyone and like walk around with his ding dong Oh out. no, we do know that there's nudity. We do know this. We know it. It was, yes. I Okay, never mind. That's why I'm like, I'm not ready. Like, I realize (laughs) if I'm rational about it, if I take a step back and breathe, I already exist in the world where this nudity exists. Okay? I'm aware that this has occurred in the past. Eric Kripke got Jensen Ackles on payroll, and day two, he had him take his pants off. Strip down, we need to see it, is what he was- (laughs) I wrote the script, I gave this role to you- we're, we're speculating, okay? But, like, we exist in the world where things were caught on film and are going to intentionally be released for multiple eyes to see. And I just don't think I'm ready for this world. I can't. I don't think I I'm comfortable with this be, world. I can't do it. I can't talk about 43-year-old Jensen Ackles, the boy's nudity, when I'm sitting here with... Freaking princess-eyed, 26-year-old Jensen Ackles <laughs> on my screen. I can't. I kept looking at his eyelashes. I'm like, it's obscene. what is it? What is it about, like, is it testosterone? Is that the thing that gives those eyelashes? Because I don't got those eyelashes. Ugh. You just stare, and you're like, mm-hmm, limpid pools. I see why we came up with purple prose that just... <laughs> Look, Remy, they're back... how did we get here? I don't know! I don't know, it's, it's been too It's been too long. I'm we don't... so scared of Jensen's naked butt. I'm so scared. <laughs> I don't want it! I don't want it! I'm just uncomfortable. And then... Little Dean is batting his doe eyes, crying his single man tear, and I'm just like, oh no! Look in this next scene. In this next scene, he's he's under the sun, and I can't talk on his knee, down on his knee, speaking gently to a to a child, to to a eleven year old child. I can't think about his butt right now. I can't be. His butt is a thing. <laughs> I don't want it. I don't want this. I don't want it either. I don't. 
Rami, I do think we need to watch the boys. I think that together. (laughs) I think where individually our strength falters, collectively we may be able to survive. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. It could kill us both. I I will be upfront about that. I don't know if we would be able to get, do it. I don't think we would be able to get through it, but it might be our best chance. There's something about season one that just, you think, I mean, B, B, season one, think about season one, Eric Kripke. Somehow, oh, no. somehow, 12, no, 15, 13, oh, God, okay. Somehow, 13 years later, season one of The Boys is the exact same Eric Kripke that season one of Supernatural is, but worse. But rated R. Oh, no. They let him cuss. (laughs) There are butts. They let him show Jensen's butthole. Oh, no. Okay, no. Okay, look. We got it. We we. Who's, who's, Can we though? Who's I editing like, this week? We got. <laughs> I feel like I've cut my Achilles tendon, and now I'm like, it's a slasher movie, and we done did just run into the fucking naked monster. <laughs> okay, okay, so, so we had Eric Kripke stand in, approached with the face of aging and death and women. And shit his pants a little bit. <laughs> so it's time to go back to the motel. Yeah, so, well, we're not, we're, we're back in the motel, but we're not with Sam and Dean. We are with Asher and Michael, and it's the dead of night. We see the boys' bedroom, and, and we're feeling some, you know, opening scene vibes. Yes, that's very true. That is much better explanation than what I was trying to do. <laughs> well, well, so we 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 see the boys sleeping. We see the window. We see d- apparently people in Wisconsin. Don't wait. Where are we? <laughs> I think it's Wisconsin. I think you got it. No, Wisconsin was the last was the last place. No, it was was Fort Fort Douglas, Wisconsin, was and we're the seventeen 17- Fitchburg, Wisconsin. Oh, we're still in Wisconsin. You're right. We're in yeah. Fitchburg. Wisconsin's a little bit bigger. It can okay. have two cities. Apparently, there's no city ordinances in Wisconsin. You can just have tree branches beating against the side of the house, and nobody cares. I'm like looking outside my house, and I'm like, oh, th- there's rules against that. <laughs> Oops! News to me. Uh, a, a stiff breeze is rattling the dead tree branches against the window, and mm-hmm. we see the uh, an encroaching claw come from the shadow. Yeah, and thanks to the opening scene, we already know how this is going to play out. Mm-hmm. So we cut to the next morning with Sam and Dean returning to the motel and it's daylight now and Sam is still laughing at Dean's fear of the woman. <laughs> and I again, we're, we're playing fast and loose with time here, but that is a long time to be laughing at Dean. <laughs> I know, I know, yeah, yeah. The last we saw them, we had, you know, 
I don't think it was that. Well, maybe it was that late at night. At night, but we saw one of the nurses bidding Doctor Heidecker a good a good day. So I mean, <laughs> unless it was four in the morning and this motel is three hours out of town, I don't know why they're only just now pulling into. Yeah. We gotta just take it at face value and think that Sam is having the time of his life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dean was too spooked to go to sleep, so they went to the movies <laughs> or something. to drive him around listening to music to comfort him. Uh-huh. It's okay. Sleeping with my peepers open. <laughs> oh, God. Um, They see... Michael outside and they ask him what's wrong and we find out that Asher is sick in the hospital and he is having symptoms similar to the other kids and he is blaming himself since he didn't make sure the window was latched. Dean is literally going to make me cry. He gets down on one knee and he takes Michael by the shoulder and says look no, this was not your fault. I can promise you this is not your fault. Look in the mirror, Dean. Yeah. He can say this to a kid, but he cannot say it to himself. He can recognize it in others and then totally not be able to see it in himself. He's so soft. <sighs> Just, hey. Like, one, he he notices that Michael's got something going on. And he... Yeah. And he calls attention to it with Sam and they walk over and he's checking up on the kid, you know, asking what's wrong and then trying to comfort him. And then the mom, um, comes out of the, the motel office in a rush. She's got a pillow. She's got a bag, an overnight bag. She's got some of Asher's things. Her arms are full. She's trying to stuff everything into the car. She's talking to Michael, telling him how to hold down the fort, um, Mm -hmm. while she's gone. Parallels. Yeah. Parallels. Um, and Michael is, is, trying to go with her saying no like I want to see Asher and and Dean is again always the mediator like talking to Michael one-on-one saying hey hey I know this is hard but you got to be you got to go easy on your mom right now like it's this is hard for everyone and she's just trying to do what's best and I mean like the the words that are coming out of this man's mouth I want to cry I know And, like, the way that Michael was saying that it's his job to look after his brother and Dean, like, up to that point in the conversation has been, like, like, it's not your fault. You can't hold that to yourself. When Michael says that, you can see Dean's not going to try and dissuade him from that. Like, he understands how important that is to Michael because it was so important to him as a kid that it was his job to look out for his brother. And so Dean knows to just nod in that situation rather than, you know, continue to try and mitigate Michael's guilt um, because he understands the importance of that particular um, fact that Dean, that, that Dean, that (laughs) Michael holds true about himself. Yeah. Yeah. And and he understands how hard this is hitting Michael. Like Michael saying, if I had just... 
if I had just made sure the window was latched, then yeah, I, he wouldn't he wouldn't have gotten pneumonia if the window was latched. But Dean is is uh, like you said, not not saying like you shouldn't care about your brother. He's saying that he's just trying to reassure him that it wasn't his fault. That yeah. that there's nothing Michael could have done in this situation. Yeah. Ugh, and it's just the comfort that he never got. And it takes a strong person to not continue the cycle, but to give those things that they themselves did not receive. I know. I know. God, it's moments like these. Again, how are you going to write this character in this way? Just like legitimately overcoming everything that... Such a big heart. When in episode one, you're like, oh yeah, he's the bad boy Han Solo to our protagonist, Luke Skywalker, mm-hmm. Sam. Like, it's it's fascinating how quickly they are just, like, spinning out the yarn for Dean's character and coming up with these complex nuances. Like, oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah. Here we are. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, Dean is, is trying to reassure Michael, also trying to help out, uh, Joanne, Joanna, Joanna, um, their mother. And he is, he, he's, he's helping her with her things in the car. He's saying, Hey, you're not in any condition to drive like right now. Let me go with, let me go with you. I insist. Let me, let me get you to the hospital. Let me get you to your son. Yeah. And, um, and she accepts and, uh, as they're leaving, uh, Dean passes by Sam and says, I, he hardens himself and says, I want this thing dead. We're going to figure this out. Just this undertone of, and with finality. Yes. Just confirming like, no, like this is not getting away from us. This ends here and now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm seeing too much hurt. And, like, the cycle continue. Yes. And and we haven't even gotten to the point where Dean has revealed uh, to to Sam that he, he feels directly responsible for all of this. I know. Himself. Oh, this is such a good episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, you know, no, Dean says, uh, we, we, we kill it. I want it dead. Yeah. So the boys separate now while Dean goes to the hospital with Joanne and her family. Um, Sam goes to the library and he is looking at microfiche and he ends up calling Dean with bad news. He says that this has happened 16 to 17 years ago in Fort Douglas, then in Ogdenville, North Haverbrook, all of these other places. It seems to be every 15 to 20 years that it hits a new town and it goes on for months with dozens of kids falling victim. Yeah, yeah. And the the kids, yeah, he says that the Striga is just getting started here. And that it goes on, you know, right now we just have five or six. But uh, these kids just get, it. It just goes on for months, like you said, and the kids get sick and they die. They don't get better. Yeah, they just languish in comas. Yeah. 
until the streak is just moves on because it, it's, it's just having this feeding frenzy and then apparently moving on. And all this is dating back as far as the 1850s. Yeah. Back to black river falls and Sam, as he's flicking through the microfiche, he recognizes a doctor in a photo and he's like, uh, Dean, I think I got something because in this photo, the doctor looks like Heindecker, but the photo is from 1893. And Dean's like, are you sure? And Sam says, yeah, absolutely. Mm. So when Dean hangs up his cell, um, he looks at Asher and then circles in on Heindecker, who is currently um, assuring Joanna that they're doing everything they can. Yeah, nothing's more important to me than these kids. I'm going to do everything I can to take care of them. And, Mm -hmm. ooh, Dean is seething. The chills, the ice that's coming off of him right now. Yes. I mean, kudos to Jensen. Yes. Yes, you can feel the barely restrained emotion in him as Heindecker's just talking oblivious. You know, like, hey, does the CDC have any leads so far? And Dean is just keeping it vague. And, you, yeah. you know, you'll know. Yeah, you'll know when we know. Yeah. So we return to the motel. Sam is ticked that they didn't realize before how good a disguise the doctor would be for Astriga. And he's also saying that he's surprised that Dean didn't attack Heindecker right then and there. Yeah, man. Dean, Sam says, I... <laughs> I would have I would have shot him up right there. Dean says, "Well, one, I wasn't going to light up a pediatric ward, Sam. Two, <laughs> it's not like it would do any good anyways. He's only vulnerable when he's feeding. And three, I wasn't packing, so <laughs> it was probably a good thing too. Otherwise, I would have unloaded a clip on him just on principle alone." Yeah, like Dean is fucking furious. He's on fire here in a way that he just couldn't express when he was at the hospital. Yeah. But he is fucking ready. He knows what to do. Um, since they know that the Striga is working through families, last night it was Asher. That means tonight it'll be Michael. Sam realizes what he means. Dean is proposing that they use Michael to get to the Striga. Yeah. Yeah. Sam's very opposed. He does not want to put Michael in danger. He wants to get the kid out of there. Um, and Sam is saying, you know, can't can't one of us just be the bait to pretend to be to be Michael and Lord I'm like the six foot five yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll just lie under the covers, and then uh, Dean is saying, "No, it's not going to work because he has to get close enough to feed." Um, that's the only way. This is really the only way. And I, I mean, I just think that the fact that we're, I mean, we've already talked about it, but this, that they're proposing to use the kid as bait and that the only way to get the Striga vulnerable is to get it to feed. So to bait it into feeding. I mean, I, I think that this leads credence to maybe John 17 years earlier having a similar thought idea yeah yeah i definitely am feeling those vibes too um 
Because I don't know how John would discover that vulnerability after the fact if this trigger disappears. But um, if he had a theory before and he wanted to see if this working theory was indeed correct, um, the bait idea, what, what would be easier and more guilt-free hmm. for John than using his own kids as bait rather than someone else's. Well, and also he, I don't know, I mean... The boys are kind of lucky in that uh, um, they know where the trigger is going to strike next if it holds to the pattern. Yes. Uh, but otherwise, they would have a town full of of children, and they would yeah, have no idea is. where it would go. Yeah, and I mean that's not to say. Oh, what am what am I trying to think here? I think that. John is probably rolling the dice if he is using his kids as bait, but thinking with maybe some false confidence that, you know, my, my kids know about this stuff and they're trained, they're raised, they can look out for themselves in a way that civilians can't. Yeah. But I I do think that with what we know about the Striga, whether or not they use... Michael as bait, it still feels like the Striga is going to come for Michael. So they can either be there and be prepared, or they can try and remove Michael from that situation and thereby alert the Striga to their presence. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure Dean is taking that into consideration too. He wouldn't want to spook it off and have it just go to ground again, like it did on John 17 years before. Yeah, because if he hears Sam saying that this has been going on for over a hundred years, then if this thing goes to ground again, then how long are they going to have to wait around in this one place hoping that they can have another shot at it? Like, it's just not practical. And um, Dean, with his guilt, he does want to kind of get this chapter closed. Like, he wants to redeem himself even if John's not there to see it, uh, maybe redeem himself in his own eyes. Yeah, and that guilt uh, actually comes out here because, and this is where Dean, you know, breaks because Sam is still pushing back on this plan to dangle this child in front of the monster's face, and and how can Dean be okay with that? Uh, and and Dean says, yells, yeah. It's the only way, and I have to get this done. It's my fault. Uh, I'm the one who screwed it up, and no telling how many kids have gotten hurt because of me. Yeah, Dad did not send me here to walk away. Yeah. And that's when Sam really pings on it. He's like, send you here. He didn't send you here. He sent us here. But Dean insists that this isn't about Sam, that he's the one who screwed up. That it's his fault and there's no telling how many kids have gotten hurt because of him. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Sam has had, you know, has had enough. He's like, no, what is going on? You're obviously hiding something. Just tell me, what do you mean it's your fault? That makes no sense. Yeah. Talk to me. Tell me what's going on. Because he doesn't understand yet, but he wants to understand. Yeah. And so this is our first flashback with Dean from present day narrating it. And it's night three in the motel room in Fort Douglas. 
and Dean was just going stir crazy, so he went out for some air. Um, Sam was sleeping anyway, so Dean locks him in and then goes off to this arcade nearby and he stays there until closing. Yeah. Um, when Dean returned to the motel, he found the Striga overtop Sam in his bed, feeding on him. And he reached for the shotgun, but before he could fire, John bursts into the room. He yells for Dean to get out of the way, and with his gun outstretched, he fires at the Striga, but the Striga escapes. Yes. Yeah. So John is frantically checking over Sam and then berating Dean for going out at all, um, letting Sam out of his sight for a second. And you can see Dean's chin just warbling at his father like yelling at him yeah yeah because i mean and and dean was scared and like he didn't get his dad being like are you okay too yeah he got his dad being like how could you like betray my trust in you in this way i thought we covered this i thought that you understood that all it takes is one mistake yeah and like how could you fail me yes like this yes and you were supposed to be infallible. I'm supposed to be able to just trust you to do this. You are an extension of me. You shouldn't be able to fail. Yeah. I told you and and this is what happens when you don't listen to me. And Dean comes back to the present and he's still talking to Sam and um he's saying that yeah, I mean at that point, John grabbed them and and left, booked booked it from um, the town. They dropped he dropped them off at Pastor Jim's and then went back. But by then, there was no trace of the streak. It was it was just gone. Um, yeah, John never spoke about it again. Dean didn't ask. He just had to live with that, thinking that he. I mean, well, as Dean said it, he says that he knew, he knew that he had failed John. Yeah. Even though they never talked about it, even though John never brought it up, he never looked at Dean the same way again. And. Yeah. And. Which was worse. Yes. Which was worse. And Dean knew that he screwed up. John gave him an order and Dean didn't listen. And that's on him. Yeah, he almost got Sam killed and like the whole way that Dean says, like, not that I blamed him. Like, I don't blame John for looking at me different and for making me feel so horrible. Like, I deserved it, essentially. Yes. And and Sam, God, I that's one of the most fascinating things about this is that Sam says here like you were just a kid you weren't Mm -hmm. you were not to blame here and then at the end of the episode he's like you know i never really understood why you always followed dad's orders blindly but i get it now like like it was a good thing (laughs) i mean i really snagged on this you were a kid because it's the same excuse that dean tried to give himself and like i use the term excuse because that's Mm -hmm. dean's perspective of it He said, I was just a kid. Like, I don't remember. I was a kid. And then Sam is here trying to offer him absolution by saying, you were a kid. Like, there's no way you should be blamed for this. 
And Dean just doesn't want to hear it. He shuts it down. Like, he refuses that absolution. He sees it as being, like, something he has to make up to his dad. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what, quote unquote, excuses you might give for why it played out at the time. As it is, um, he thinks John sent Dean here to finish the job. And that's what he needs to do to really feel like he's moved past this. Yeah. Yeah. He says that John knew that this was unfinished business for 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 Dean and that he he need yeah, he needed to get it done. And this is and this is the point where I was like, Really, Dean? Like really? Is John like is this is this a redemption or is it a punishment or is it neither? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can make an argument both ways. Because it's really ultimately what Dean is willing to make of it. You know, mm-hmm. it's Dean's relationship with this case that as much as John might have a perspective, um, Dean has internalized a particular one that he think represents what his dad thinks of him. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just fucking miserable. I know. And it's like, so juicy. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm sitting here, I'm like, no, 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 love it. Yes. But <laughs> poor boy, you know, suffering. Dance, dance, my little jester. I'm enjoying your tears. Oh, my God. So, so it has so, to be the kid. This is their only yeah. chance. Yeah. Sam still doesn't want to use Michael, but the Striga needs to be feeding for them to kill it. And Dean agrees. Like, he doesn't like it either, but they have no choice. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if they are using Michael as bait, then they kind of need to loop the kid in on it if they're going to do this right. And Michael doesn't take their story very well. Um, He almost immediately threatens to call the cops. You're crazy! (laughs) These adults come when he doesn't have any parental supervision and is like, hey... (laughs) <laughs> you, do you want to be in on, like, this supernatural game that essentially, if we lose, you die? And he's like, mm-hmm, yes, okay, just one second. I got 911 on the line. You should really talk to them. <laughs> but Dean is asking him to believe, and he's explaining how it attacked Asher and the other kids, um, including Sam, once upon a time. And Michael just listens, and... He eventually admits that he saw this monster too, and he just thought it was a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, he thought he was having a nightmare. And then Dean gives this really heartbreaking little speech, but he's saying, like, I'd give anything not to tell you this, but sometimes nightmares are real. My and... brain is seizing. Yep. And yep. just fucking dial tone. He does not do this lightly. I'd give like, anything not to tell, have to tell you this. <sighs> yeah. yeah. They need Michael's help to kill it. Yeah. Sometimes the nightmares are real, but we can kill it. That This is what I do. This is what my brother does. And, you know, we don't want... I know it's crappy. We don't want to put you through this, but... But, you know, it's what we it's need. the only we need, choice we have. We need your help. Yeah. 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 And Michael initially refuses this. And Dean and Sam kind of 
regroup back at the motel room. I'm like, okay, well, what do we do now? But there's a knock on the door, and it is Michael. And he just wants to confirm, you know, he still hasn't decided, but if you kill it, will Asher get better? And I think the fact that Dean is honest here mm-hmm. is kind of the the pivoting moment for Michael. Because Dean says, I don't know. Yeah, honestly, they don't know. They don't know that if the Striga dies, that its victims will will recover. Yeah. But they're big brothers. You know, Dean and Michael are in the same boat on this way. Um, they would do anything for their little brothers. Well, I think it was, was it Michael that, that asked Dean? He wanted Dean to tell him that, that I don't know. I don't know what he was looking for in this, but it was Michael that asked Dean, "You love your little brother. You would do anything for him." Yeah, yeah. And and Dean very seriously says, "Yes, I would." And then that's what convinces Michael. Okay, yeah, yeah. This is me doing anything to save my little brother, even if even if it's just a chance. Okay, yeah. I'll do it. But yeah, he was looking for that confirmation from dean that camaraderie that yeah you're right that connection to i don't know just like to to know to know that i don't know i think that he was looking for a reason to trust dean yeah like this reassurance that they're in the same boat somehow that there is like something in dean that michael can recognize yeah and relate to and trust to look out for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So yeah, the bait is on board. <laughs> uh, and I love this this little Michael actor. He's he's he a good He does a good job. He did do yeah. a good job. Uh, this is a good episode. All it's a it's a really good episode. Yeah. Oh. And this little conversation that goes on between um Dean and Michael as they're setting up Michael's room and explaining like okay, you're going to pretend to be asleep, the monster's going to come in, and we're going to handle it. And it's just such a striking juxtaposition against John and the way that John handled his kids. Like, it's a need-to-know basis. You only need to be a tool. You don't need to think. Yeah. Um, I don't need to... You don't need to know the details. You just need to do what I say. Yes. Yes. You don't need to know why. You just need to do what I say. And, like, by contrast, Dean is taking so much time to walk through the plan, um, how they're going to come in with guns. Or, do you know what how loud guns are? Okay, it's not like the movies. It's going to... Like, he's trying to cover all of the questions that Michael either has or is too scared to ask and really put Michael in this place where he understands the situation he has comfort in knowing what is to come and knowing how things are going to play out. I, gosh, I should look up more about the writer for this episode because I have, it has to be a, intentional, right? It has to be, there's no way they just accidentally wrote Dean this way. So deliberately meeting Michael at every point that, John never met Dean at. Yeah. In in comforting him when when Asher first got sick and speaking to him 
um, frankly and honestly, when uh, Michael was was doubting that that they were being you know truthful with him and that this was actually a thing that was actually happening and then now here with uh you know making sure that michael is prepared for what's actually going to happen and that he's answering the questions that michael has and like i said not just that that tool that need to know but legitimately just meet meeting michael at every level uh in a way that dean never got yeah and it's not even, it's certainly heavily implied, but it's not even explicitly stated that John failed in all these things. And now Dean is, and now we just see Dean being such a better man than John ever was. But it, yeah, like it feels like the contrast is so stark and so apparent. Yeah. Yeah, like, we're seeing Dean's response to his childhood. And we're seeing Dean behave in the ways... Like, you hear so much of kids being like, I, I want to do the exact opposite of my parents, you know? And so there's a volume being spoken there in the fact that this is the way that Dean is tackling this. Like, he's not treating Michael as a tool. He is treating Michael as a third member of this plan. And, like, he's an equal. He's not a weapon. He's not this device that is being used by the mastermind. And it's just so striking that there's this much trust and autonomy being put into this kid, but it's only at the level that the kid rightfully can handle. It is not more than that, and it's not less than that. Oh my god, B, I just read the, the next line in my notes. I'm dying. I'm dead. B. <laughs> B, tell it's me, not me. even the be- it's not even the worst part. B, the worst part is that Dean is reassuring Michael. He's saying, "Look, we're going to come in. There's going to be loud gunshots. It's going to be dangerous, so you have to get down when we tell you to." And we're we're going to be careful. We're not going to shoot you. We won't do anything until you're out of the way. Yeah, like and your safety is being prioritized in this moment. We won't fire until you are out of the line of fire. Yeah, yeah. And then and then it, he, Dean sees that Michael is still scared. Like of course he's scared. And yeah. Dean Oh, Remy, I know where you're going. <laughs> Dean again gets down at eye level with Michael and says, "Hey, I can't. I can't. Okay. Says says, "Hey, are you sure? Are you sure that you you want to do this? You don't have to. Don't worry. I won't be mad." And I'm just like, "I the fucking I won't be mad. I won't be mad. You don't At have this to." Child not wishing to be in a deadly potential situation. I won't hold it against him. It's okay. No, he's just taking such care. I know. He, his heart is so big. He just, he wants Michael to know that, like, he doesn't have to say yes. It's, oh, it's okay. He just is telling him in actions and words, it's okay. It's okay, kid. 
And, like, you can change your mind and you won't be in trouble for it. Like, you yes. don't have to commit to something if you feel you're in over your head. Yes. Which, Dean, you did not see him in those flashbacks feeling like that. Like, you saw him being, I can rise to that level. I'm not in too deep. Look at me. I'm dog paddling. I'm still swimming. I can do it. He didn't get the chance. He didn't get the option. Exactly. Like, he saw John's measure as immovable, and so Dean had to move if he was going to meet it. Whereas between Dean now and Michael, he's saying, hey, if this is too much for you, we'll take you out of the situation. And that's okay. Like, This is just a moment where I look at this character, I look at this man, and I say, how is he so good? Because this whole episode, we see this glimpse into where he came from and you know who his father was and the kind of childhood that he had and you just have to ask how was he so good how did he come from that and become so good and i (sighs) i have a lot of feelings about supernatural (laughs) i mean yeah like there's just such layers to these characters there's such layers to the history and it's just really compelling yeah it's this is supernatural at its best when you're seeing these juxtapositions when you're really feeling the weight of the characters actually making decisions that they're not just blindly doing you know what that childhood could program you to do and I, and I, I always feel feel bad that this is such a he- Dean heavy episode. Um, and Sam, I mean, but I don't know. Sam is just kind of there. This episode, it's meant to be a Dean heavy episode. Yeah, like Sam is the device by which we're seeing the past. Like, because I couldn't help but think, like Wes, you're saying, like, how is Dean so good? How did he come out of this? And I feel like a lot of it relates to the fact that he had that lodestone. Like, he had that central thesis that was embedded in him as a kid. The watch out for Sammy. Yeah. And because he had that, then there were... You know, when he gets to a crossroad, I could do this or I could do that. He's making the choice that protects his brother. And he's making the choice that keeps him safe. Like, these choices that he makes becomes ingrained in his character and makes him like the good person that he is. So as much as this episode is about Dean and his trauma and the way he's reacting to his past, it's also highlighting just how critical Sam was in the making of him. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. And we see Sam you know, learning these things about his brother too, things yeah. that you know, p- pieces of Dean that Sam was never allowed to see or know about. Well, and pieces of Dean that maybe he wouldn't have recognized because mm-hmm. Dean was so parentified yeah. in Sam's memory that it's the episodes like this that Sam gets the opportunity to see Dean as a brother and as a person because, you know, all of a sudden Dean's not this fully formed human being that raised him. Oh, like 
Dean went through things that I don't know about. And Dean has experienced a life that I don't actually understand. Like he's getting a glimpse into that thing that, you know, kids don't usually think about their parents. And it's maybe a moment where he realizes that, hey, that's not maybe the way that most siblings think about their older sibling. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, so D- Dean gives Michael the rundown and then, you know, make sure that Michael is only taking on as much as he can handle to, you know, to a certain to 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 a certain extent because I mean, again, we do know that Dean, you know, we do know that they're short on options, but yeah. He he's still he's still checking in with Michael every step of the way, which yeah, is is great to see and assuring michael that they will protect him yes yeah which is everything that we didn't see from john yeah Um, so here's how to fend for yourself bye (laughs) (laughs) but um but you know michael uh says yeah no let's let's do it just don't just don't shoot me yeah so it's nightfall. We are seeing through the night vision camera set up in Michael's room that, you know, the kid's lying in bed, feigning sleep, and they're just waiting for the trigger to come. And because Sam and Dean are sitting alone for an indeterminate amount of time, it is, of course, the moment for the bro talk. Oh, yeah. So Sam is saying that he is sorry for giving Dean crap for following their dad's orders all the time. Um, and now he knows why Dean does it. And Dean just has this face that looks like you've tried to serve him a turd on a plate. Like, he's just like, hmm, no, we're not having this conversation. Yeah, he literally says, "Oh, kill me now. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I, I wish that I, this is one moment where I really wish I had gotten more from Sam. Because mm-hmm. he, I don't know. He, he he's just some weird mouthpiece in this moment where he's just like um yeah so i'm sorry for giving you a hard time dean you know i know that i'm always on you for following dad's orders but i know why you do it i'm like okay that's a statement but what yeah. how, but how do you feel about it sam yeah like i like that you're highlighting this because this moment is kind of like when one character is pointing out the defenses on another character and um the the beat just kind of stops there yeah it doesn't go to the vulnerability it doesn't go to the point of opening up of blossoming or growing like what it feels like instead is it's like wow dean you have scars and then like yep like we're not given more that gives the opportunity to heal and I mean, that sets up Dean in a way for the rest of the show that Sam knows or he thinks he knows. He understands where Dean is coming from, but neither one of them has the ability to heal or process it yet. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and I wonder, I mean, I wonder how much of that is, you know, Sam not realizing just how much of just just to what extent Dean defines himself by his yeah. perceived failures 
and how incapable of healing he is uh, on his own. Uh, Or Sam just not really understanding or Sam not knowing what to say. So I think, I think it could be, you know, Sam not understanding the extent of the damage, um, or Sam, uh, them just not being very good at acknowledging it and actually, you know, like you said, getting vulnerable and talking about, um, you know, trying to talk about what it actually means, uh, that those, those traumas exist. Uh, but, yeah, I could see yeah. it being that because we're still early in their reunion and it takes mm-hmm. to like season 15 for them to be like, hi, I have feelings. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because even even here, I mean, Dean, uh, Sam gets two sentences in and Dean just throws up a crucifix like be gone. Yeah. Be gone, he's, feelings. He's just like, somebody kill me, please. No. Yeah. He does not, yeah, he does not want to talk about it. Mm. No. And fortunately for him, he doesn't have much time because um, the Striga shows up. So no more conversation. They have to really focus on what they are seeing and pick the perfect time to go in and strike at the Striga. Yeah. Yeah. We see the Striga approaching the bed. Dean, I mean, Michael is terrified out of his mind, uh, but they they can't go yet. Not yet, not yet. They have to wait until uh, the Striga actually catches Michael in his little Dementor feeding <laughs> um, thing. Yeah. And, you know... <laughs> We have to wait until Michael's good and traumatized before we can yeah. we can bust have into this, the room. Have this piece of fetid meat just right in his face, glowing like a flashlight. Oh my gosh. Oof. Yeah. So as it starts to feed, um, Dean and Stan, they run in. They're yelling for Michael to get down. So Michael fucking cartwheels off the bed and under it. <laughs> and they start shooting at it till it dies. And Dean makes sure first that Michael is okay and then goes to check that the Striga is dead, which I thought was like a good, <laughs> like yeah. a good beat. I'm like, I like the fact that he checked with Michael first and then went to check on the monster. Yeah. It wasn't a simultaneous, it wasn't a monster first, Michael later. It really was. Um, putting money where his mouth is that the kid's priority and making sure he's okay. Yeah, absolutely. And the Striga uh, went down, but it's not dead because nope. as Dean rounds the bed to check on the presumed body, it uh, pounces and it knocks Dean aside and then tackles uh, Sam to the ground and uh begins to feed on Sam uh with an intent to kill very obviously it's he's draining him fast he's going all weird mm-hmm. and gray poor Sam real cute yeah <laughs> Sam is grappling for the gun on the ground but the striga is just stronger and we think all is lost because Sam is losing his looks and then Dean yells for the Striga's attention 
and then shoots it straight in the head. Yeah. You know, I would think that if I knew that the only way I could die was in the moment when I was feeding on something, then I would simply not do that thing. But- I know, right? <laughs> like, hmm. I'm outnumbered and there's guns here. Maybe I'll just leave. <laughs> mm-hmm. But not today. And lucky for them, not today, because Dean does get to kill it. He double checks if Sam's okay by going, you okay, little brother? Which I was like, okay, that's a bit on the nose. Oh, I cringed so hard. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Yes, thanks. No. Because it was just, a, a Sammy could have done Miles, but it's too early in the show. They didn't cement what that means just uh-huh. yet. You okay, little brother? Oof. Yeah, yeah, big bro. (laughs) Like, come on. How is this kid going to explain all the bullet holes in his bed and walls? And like when someone in the neighborhood is like, yeah, I heard at least two guns firing an entire clip (laughs) at each other. And I guess the cops are just like, anyways. I don't know. Maybe it's a seedy motel. Maybe. But like still... It's a, a talking about ordinance, noise ordinance. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so Dean and Sam confirm that it's for sure dead this time. And then Dean just shoots at the body three more times before it vanishes to dust. Yeah. Letting out a little frustrations there. He's like, this is way better than talking about my feelings. Yeah. This is 20 years of me holding guilt and stuff, and I'm just going to shoot at the body, and now I'm better. Therapy over. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is fine. This definitely won't come back to, and bite me 15 years in the future. Mm-mm-mm-mm. I'm definitely not going to shed some glistening princess tears <laughs> as I have a fit of rage. <laughs> B, I think it's time for the wrap-up. We're pretty close, yes. Michael gets to come out now because it's safe. Dean claps him on the shoulder and it is morning. And we see Sam and Dean packing up. Um, Joanna is there. They ask her how Asher is doing. And it's just like a gosh darn miracle because Asher and all the other kids are going to be fine. Yeah. No one knows what what happened, but, you know, they're they're awake. They're going to be okay. Yeah, and you know, Dr. Travis is giving the good prognosis. Uh, turns out Dr. Heidecker wasn't in today. Oh, who could imagine that? Har har. <laughs> you know what my favorite thing is? that if they, The fact that they knew that it was Heidecker had absolutely no bearing on the outcome of the case. I know, hey? They, like... We didn't need to know that. <laughs> yeah, we didn't need to know that it was Heidecker. Sam didn't have to go research that in the library. They just... I mean, I guess it's it's for the audience. They're like, you guys uh-huh. are going to wonder who it is if it's not the embodiment <laughs> of Kripke's fear. Like, I guess it was just a treat for us. Yeah. They're like, narratively speaking, this needs to be here. <laughs> um, Joanna asked Michael if she missed anything and he's vague in saying no um he's just raring to go see his brother so come on they leave and then sam and dean are left to have their little chat here that fucking traumatizes me right at the end of the episode (laughs) oh 
man. Yep. Yep. So Sam, as he watches Joanne and Michael depart, um, he says, gosh, it's, it's a shame, isn't it? Yeah. Too bad. Michael has to know the truth. He'll never be the same. Yeah. Yeah. He'll always know that there are things in the dark. Yeah. Dean's just looking thoughtful as Sam is saying this. And then Sam just takes a beat to reflect on what it means to him that Michael just went through this. And he says, I wish I could have that kind of innocence. I didn't deliver that very well. but like, Well, I mean, I think you delivered it with with the um, with the right sort of inflection there. Got the, got the true Eeyore spirit of what Sam is saying there. No, no, I, I I think that's right for um how this didn't really seem to fit. I don't know. I like where did this come from? Where Sam is just like, well, I wish I had that kind of innocence sometimes too. Like, yeah. what about me? I'm like, well, wait, wh- what happened? This is not what anyone was talking about ever throughout any point of this episode. <laughs> It's like there's two minutes left of the episode. It's like, oh, right, Sam's the protagonist. Let's tie it back to him. But they did it in a way where it's like that bird tweet where, like, I am uncomfortable when things are not about me. <laughs> no, I just, it, it seemed a little, it seemed a little like a non sequitur um, where he, Sam is just like, oh, I wish, you know, he doesn't even say, like, I wish you didn't have to go through this. Because, I nope. mean, the whole episode is about Dean. Or he didn't even say we. He was just like, I wish I had had that kind of innocence. You know, I wish yeah. I wish, I wish, I didn't grow up in the way that I did. Like, bitch, we saw, the only thing we saw of you was you stealing the last bowl of Lucky Charms and you, okay, he, I feel bad. I can't talk about Toddler Sam. He was literally... <laughs> sadly watching uh, uh, Thundercats. You didn't do anything. It was... I mean, yeah. It was, Dean was the one that had to face the scary things. But I wish I could have had that kind of innocence. <laughs> I mean, and this would have been a good moment to tie it back to, you know, what Dean shut down earlier when they were staking out um, waiting yeah. for the streak from Michael. Because, because Sam said, you know, he was trying to apologize for giving Dean crap about always following dad's orders. And now he understands a little bit better, you know, Mm -hmm. why Dean is like that. And he was trying to tell Dean that, you know, it wasn't his fault. He was just a kid, this, this, and this, all these moments in the episode that can now come down to this point to say, no, you know what, Dean, let's talk about it a little bit. Like I forgive you. I think you should forgive yourself. I don't, you were just a kid. You know, I wish, I wish for you, I wish you didn't have to have gone through that. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to see Sam reach out a hand to Dean in this moment. Not whatever. Like, it just didn't make sense. I agree. Like, the conversation that we had while they were on the quote-unquote stakeout, that would be a more suitable closing conversation Mm -hmm. um, than Sam kind of reflexively thinking of his childhood and how it related with Michael. Because, yeah, if we're looking at this narratively, all of the parallels are, like, Dean and his past, Michael and Dean. Like, those are the connections that we're meant to draw. So it just feels out of place once we hear um, Sam draw a connection to Michael's situation. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. I, yeah. I'm glad like, I have you to talk to We're not given anything before this in the episode to really tie these together. Because Michael's the older brother protecting his younger sibling. Like, all of the parallels we are given is Michael to Dean. And so, yeah, just do, I almost said Jared, <laughs> doing Sam to Michael, it just doesn't have any foundation to make it feel like it fits. Yeah. I'm glad I have you to talk to about these things, B, because I didn't know why I thought it was, like, weird, but now I know, now I know why. Yeah. Like, I really feel like they fired off a really promising round in that stakeout and then didn't use it in a satisfying way. Yeah. It fit better at the end of the episode where you have more of a chance to talk about it, but maybe they placed it at the stakeout because they truly just did not want to get into it. They didn't... They didn't. Well, have I mean, a all they had they to wanted. do, all they had. To, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to talk talk over you there. I talk over you so much. Go ahead. <laughs> but all they had to do was change one word, is to say, is for Sam to have said, like, I wish you could have had that sort of yeah. innocence. I mean, and maybe it's a case of like them not being able to murder their darlings in mm-hmm. the writers' room because. The fact that Sam is reflecting on himself and saying, like, me and I. And then Dean answers it by saying, if it means anything, sometimes I wish you could too. Yeah. Like, if that was the line that they wanted, then we had to have Sam talking only about himself. Because having Dean say that, he is excluding himself from the opportunity of innocence. And... That is telling us that maybe not as much growth or change has happened in Dean as we hoped. Exactly. I think that this this ending here, it um, was very much more of the same of what you were saying earlier with the stakeout, is in that here we are just pointing out Dean's traumas and <laughs> and just acknowledging that they exist and um but but we're not we're not addressing them in any way we're not growing from them Uh, um we're not trying to heal those wounds uh here at the end we're doing the same thing we are just highlighting again that dean feels the responsibility uh of of everything of sam of of trying to protect Sam and he, he doesn't live for himself. He doesn't wish that for himself. He doesn't get that innocence. Uh, but he does, you, you better believe he wishes that he could have been able to protect Sam from it. Yeah. That he could give everything for his brother and he still isn't really thinking of himself. No, no. I wish that we would have had some more growth, but maybe we weren't meant to we weren't meant to have it. Yeah. Like, as we're talking here, I'm really wondering if the idea of this episode was more that, you know, this Striga hunt when he was a kid was the sliver that was embedded in Dean's skin and shaped the way that he grew, but festered and left no opportunity for healing. And this episode was really just removing the sliver. It wasn't about fixing the wound it wasn't about the fucking rehabilitation that comes afterwards Mm -hmm. it was just genuinely that dean got to have some closure on a hunt 
from his past, but he truly hasn't processed it in any way. It is more like a to-do list has been checked off, but it hasn't been felt. It hasn't given the opportunity to change Dean. No, he's learning the wrong lessons. He just yeah. he just thinks that, okay, I fixed my screw-up. When yeah. what he should be walking away from this is like, I, I was just a kid. I didn't. I shouldn't be feeling the weight, the full weight of this responsibility. Exactly. I think that that's it there. I fixed this screw up is what Dean's takeaway is. And it's not the one that offers him healing. Yeah. He's just not there. Yeah. So much. So much. But Oof. but yeah, so Dean Dean does say that he wishes that um Sam never had to he wishes the same thing for Sam. He wishes that Sam could have had that innocence as well. Yeah. And then it's the end of the episode, so of course it's time to get in the car and drive away. B, oh, don't don't forget as we're watching this episode, these episodes that you have to tell me all of the music that that I don't get oh, to yes, hear yes, yes. because I'm watching on on Netflix. Because, yes, 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 yes. Because at the end of this episode, um, there's a song and it's it, that plays and it's called "Another Day of Regret" uh, by Molly, and this song is so bootleg that <laughs> that it doesn't even exist on an album <laughs> oh my god it's just some single lp sitting somewhere yeah it's like it's like it only existed on spotify and and as a search result from shazam and on the shazam page all of the related tracks were were other supernatural uh, Netflix replacement tracks from season one. It's like, oh, oh were you a person that searched for this song? You may have also searched for these songs. <laughs> like, Don't Fear the Reaper and and uh, Mary. Oh my god, Mary. <laughs> yeah. The, the closing song in this episode was an Ozzy Osbourne one. It was Road to Nowhere. I got some whiny early 2000s uh, wannabe song. Rip. Except it was not early 2000s. It just sounded early 2000s. It was actually a song, um, I think, released in 2017. So, Oh, my God, Remy. Okay, so I just went to, like, Tune Find to see what the song titles were for this episode. And the first question that is listed, you're going to love this, okay? It goes, what's the piano song that plays throughout the episode? <laughs> Some fucking 8-bit background music. <laughs> SoundCloud. Someone Bullshit. Someone found a link. Oh, no. But, yeah, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, my, Remy. People, people want to know. <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm telling you guys, look up this piano piece. It's so, like, like you Listen said, listen to B, it on repeat. This, this episode, you so very keenly feel the early two thousands. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's, so, it's so funny. Good. It's so funny. And on that note, we are at the end of the episode, episode eighteen. 
Hold on. I know the name of it. Something Wicked? No. (laughs) Yes, it is Something Wicked. It is Something Wicked. (laughs) Episode 18, Something Wicked. Next week, we will... Remy, I think you're forgetting something. I am forgetting something. (laughs) Remy, I think you're forgetting something. I am forgetting something. Shut up. Remy? Hey. Hey, B. Hey, B. So... What? (laughs) What's... What's your final takeaway? What's your final... Oh, that's going to be such a bitch to edit me. <laughs> oh, my I God. I don't care. I was I'm very to go. excited. I was ready to go. I was just... No, fuck you guys. I'm out of yeah. here. I mean, there is no final takeaway. Okay. The, the, my final takeaway is this episode has everything. <laughs> I love the backstory that we're getting. I like the glimpses into their childhood. I love the angst. Or the potential therein. Maybe you watch it and you're normal and you're just fine with what happened today. <laughs> but I really just like the fucking doe-eyed princess warbly chin moments we get from Dean. And this episode is just rife for, with them. So. Yes. Mwah! Yes. Yeah. I think that my final takeaway has to be the thing that hit me the most um, as I'm sure you guys can tell, uh, it was Dean's interactions with Michael and how just through everything that Dean gives to Michael and how he speaks with him and treats him, uh, and, and just make sure, well, anyways, and treats him, um, it highlights all of those uh, it, it, his, his actions highlight so well, uh, uh, John's inactions. And yeah. I don't, I don't know to what extent it was a deliberate writer's room choice, but it, uh, was definitely my favorite, my favorite little tidbit in, in this episode. It's so nice seeing Dean interacting with kids. Like he's so good about it. I know. I know. And it's such it's such great insight into him as a person and you know what what his true heart is because yeah. um he's not putting on I I don't know. I he's not he doesn't feel like a regarding the civilians, mm-hmm. you know? He is treating them as people and understanding how they are responding to the situation because maybe it's the way he wished he could have responded. Yeah. I mean, it it feels like in situations like these, he is, he he is opening himself up and he is showing um, a softer, more vulnerable side of himself. And he is dropping the masks that we see in the front that he puts up with Sam. Yeah. I, and, and it's like in this episode, who he was, could yeah. be without being surrounded by his family so much. Mm-hmm. In this episode, we really got to see that, um, maybe why he is the person that he is, is because he, um, is overcoming the, or, I don't know. I don't know. Is it, is it a conscious choice? Is he doing the things that he wished that John would have done for him? Or is he just learning, like, subconsciously learning from the mistakes that John made? Yeah. 
Yeah, and like that's a great question. I don't know if we can answer it. Because he is such a empathic person. Like, yes. He seems to know instinctively how to respond. And because his instincts are so sharp, I don't think he necessarily gets the opportunity to really reflect on things as much as he could have otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. That empathy is woof. Yeah. The level woof. of empathy. Now you get to do that. <laughs> I can't believe it. I can't believe I forgot the final takeaways. You really wanted to change the format of the episode. No, You're it just like, felt so wrong. Just... <laughs> I'm telling you, I was like, and next week, no, no, no way. You're like, something <laughs> Some... happens before then. <laughs> well, look, look, um, that was episode 18. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for listening today after our break thank you guys for your messages uh we received some very kind messages through tumblr through our website and uh you know for everyone that reached out saying you know asking when we'd be back or saying that that you missed us uh we we appreciate that so much we missed you guys too uh, yeah we're, we're very we've been happy thinking of back. you guys and yeah. Like Remy just said, we're very happy to be back. Yeah. So um, we're picking it back up. Uh, we will be back next week uh, with episode 19, Provenance. Yes. And uh, feel free to hit us up on Twitter or Tumblr or our website. And go leave a review on... Um, uh, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Um, yeah, yeah. We will see you guys next week. Thank you so much. Thank you. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.